You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Galatians 1, just as a recap and a little bit of context for you here, uh, Paul writes to the church at uh, churches at Galatia, not one particular church, uh, but a, a group of churches, uh, four churches that we know for sure that he probably wrote to in this area that he had visited in the book of Acts. Uh, but he writes a, a letter that he intends to be passed around amongst these churches to deal with some, uh, one of the most serious issues that we find in the entire Bible, and that's false teaching. Uh, false teaching will lead us astray of what the Bible teaches. It'll lead us astray of where God wants us to be, and it takes us off track from where we're trying to head. The doctrine that was under uh, attack here, in this case here, was as serious as it could possibly get. There was an attack on the gospel. Uh, the, the fact that Jesus Christ was not enough, that one needed also follow the Levitical law, also needed to go through the different uh, uh, rituals of uh, circumcision and things along those lines to actually be a follower of Christ, which could not have been further from the truth. And so uh, we find ourselves here in uh, Galatians chapter 1 tonight, uh, verses 6 through 9 is where we'll spend the most of our time tonight. Uh, we've been taking a look over the last several weeks as we looked at this as the different types of false gospel. Uh, Paul, in this case here, is calling them out, uh, saying, do not follow this fake gospel uh, and our world is prevalent today with false gospels, and we need to be aware of that as we look through this uh, passage of Scripture. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse number 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but of by Jesus Christ, God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me under the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse number six, he really uh, cranks up the intensity. I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. There is no other gospel other than the gospel of Christ. But there be some that trouble you that would pervert the gospel. They would twist it into something that it was not intended to actually be. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you other than what we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so I say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than you have received, let him be accursed. Paul is very uh, adamant that we not mess with the gospel. Uh, the gospel is our message. It's the mission of the church. It's the only story that we have to tell. Uh, the gospel really is the story of the Bible from cover to cover, uh, from beginning to end. It's the message of the gospel. And before we jump in tonight, it's important that we always define our terms. What do we mean by the gospel? Uh, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of mankind. That could be uh, the gospel in a nutshell there, that Jesus came, he died on the cross to pay for our sins. He was buried, and the third day he resurrected, proving his victory over sin, death, and the grave, and gives us the opportunity to be forgiven as payment for our sins. Christ died in our place. That's the gospel. Uh, an, another way to say it would be Jesus Christ died in place of sinners. Romans chapter five, number eight, uh, but God commendeth his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, Romans chapter five says, uh, there might be some people that might die for a good man. There might be some people that would die for a guy who's all right. But Jesus Christ died for sinners and he died in our place. 
I deserve to die. Jesus came and died in my place. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Jesus died in my place so that I can be saved, so that I can be forgiven. One author put it this way, I really like this. God, man, Jesus response is the the gospel in a nutshell. God is perfect. God is holy. God is without sin. God has given rules for us to live by, but man has broken God's law. Man has sinned against God. Man has turned from the path that God has set for us, and as a result, man will incur the wrath of God. There's consequences for sin. We cannot get away from the penalty, the price of our sin. Uh, Just as a, a criminal found guilty in a criminal court now has a consequence, a sentence that he must pay, you and I must pay the sentence of our sin, and the sentence is death. Not only a physical death, but an eternal death, a separation from God in a place called hell, the place that Romans, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter number 20 speaks to you as the lake of fire that is the second death. It's bad news, it's what we deserve, but Jesus Christ came and died in our place. Jesus died so that I don't have to go to hell, so I don't have to be separated from God. Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life. He never sinned one single solitary time so that he could pay for my sin and pay for yours, but it requires a response on your part. Not everyone's gonna get to go to heaven automatically. Not everyone has their sins uh, paid for automatically. I wish that were the case, but it's just not. God requires that we repent of our sin and choose Jesus Christ as our Savior. And to do that, we must accept Christ as Savior and be saved or born again. It's the only way to heaven. No man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. John chapter three, verse number three. If you have a red letter edition of the Bible, it's in red because Jesus himself said it. It's a big deal. That's the gospel. And it's important that we don't add anything to the gospel or take away anything from the gospel. When we do that, we mess up the whole message. And the book of Galatians is written because they messed up the message of the gospel. They took the gospel and then they added religion to it. They added works to it. Uh, They added additional steps that one had to go through to actually be a follower of Christ. And Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, not on my watch. And so the tone of uh, the book of Galatians is pretty intense. Uh, Again, we take a look at this several weeks ago that there's no word of condemnation given to the churches at Galatia. No, hey, you're doing a great job in this area, but you need to tighten up a couple of other areas. Um, Didn't happen that way. It's just, hey, here's what you've done wrong and here's what you need to fix because you've messed with the most uh, most important doctrine of the Bible, the doctrine of the gospel how we can be saved, how we can be forgiven. So you and I would be very uh, well off if we would protect the message of the gospel. I'm not gonna let anybody mess with it. I'm not gonna let anybody add to it or take away from it. That's why when you and I present the gospel to people, we have to be very thorough in how we present the gospel to folks. Uh, We have to tell them that they've broken God's law. We have to tell them that there's a penalty of sin on their head. We have to tell them about hell. We have to tell them that Jesus died in their place and there's only one way that they can be saved to turn from their sin and turn to Jesus Christ. We can't add anything to that. We can't add church attendance to that or baptism to that or uh, even uh, anything, any good works that we wanna add to that. But let me help you as well because we can't take anything away from that. I've heard folks before because they wanna see somebody get saved so badly, they'll leave out some parts of the gospel. Well, all you have to do is pray this prayer and then you can go to heaven. Don't you want to go to heaven? Well, who doesn't want to go to heaven? And I've heard people before on the receiving end of that say, 
Well, you know, if, if it's just a matter of you know saying I believe and praying this prayer, I'm willing to do that. Hey, careful with that. Pump the brakes. We can't just pray a prayer and get to heaven. I must repent of my sin. I must recognize the depths of my sinfulness and repent of that and cry out to Christ as the only hope that I have for my sinful condition. Not just like, hey, I'll, I'll take whatever you're offering. I had uh, witnessed uh, several years ago to a man who's of a, a, a Hindu background. He grew up in India. Uh, he was a software developer for a company that we were doing business with at the time. And I began to go through the gospel with him and talk to him about that. And he says, yeah, he said, I believe that Jesus was a prophet and Jesus was a good man. And, uh, and he says, you know, I believe everything that you believe about the Bible. And I said, well, not everything. We began to talk about how Jesus was pretty clear that, the, that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. And so Jesus is the exclusive path to heaven. And he goes, I would agree with that, but I would say Jesus is one of the many paths to heaven. Then we're not agreeing on anything at this point. And he said, I tell you what, I'm willing to accept Jesus at his word. And I said, no, you're not. No, I am. Whatever I need to do to follow Jesus, I want to do that today. And I said, you can't. And you're like, you told him that? Absolutely. Because he had just spent the previous hour telling me how he did not feel that Jesus was all that important that take it or leave it, whatever you say is good, whatever I say is good. And, and he was basically trying to take the conversation and get it over and done with it. He said, I'm willing to accept Jesus for whatever you say that he is and, and whatever I need to do. If I gotta pray a prayer, I'll, I'll pray it right now. And I said, you can't do it. And he goes, you can't tell me that I can't pray. Hey, you can pray any prayer you want to, but you cannot become a child of God today with the attitude that you add Jesus to what you've already got going on. He saw Jesus as just one of the other gods that he could follow, just another uh, world religion that he could add to his, his stack of uh, world religions that he subscribed to. It doesn't work that way. Jesus is me and me only. And friend, let me tell you something. If you can talk someone out of being saved, they're probably not ready to be saved. If I can say, uh, you should just give it a few weeks and pray on it and think about it and stuff like that. If the Holy Spirit is at work in their life, they're not gonna take, that, take no for an answer. I've said to people before, hey, I just want to give you some time to think about this and process through this. I've got a book I want you to read. And they say, well, I don't have time to read a book. I want you to tell me what I need to know today. Well, you know, I don't want to rush you or pressure you. No, I realize what I've done and I need to be saved. And you can't talk somebody out of that when the Holy Spirit's at work in their life. Uh, I also encourage parents, again, every child is different, but I encourage parents that if you can talk your child out of being saved, they probably aren't ready yet to be saved. And again, it's important to understand, uh, I always tell, tell parents that God doesn't send little kids to hell. So the idea that we need to get to some kid to pray some prayer at, at four or five years old so that they'll stay out of hell, it's just not biblical. That's all there is to it. But secondly, I take any kid in the world that's under 10 and I say, if you wanna go to heaven, say these words, and they're gonna say whatever I tell them to say. That's not salvation. Again, we can't take away from the gospel and add a one, two, three, pray after me and call that the gospel. Uh, we need to be very, very, very careful with that. And so uh, again, for us, we, had, we, and again, this is what we did for our family. You might do things differently in your family and I respect that because at the end of the day, you have to answer to God for that. But we actually put our kids off for a really long time and says, I don't think you're ready yet. I don't think you're ready yet. Uh, hey, we'll talk about this. We'll pray about it. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll continue to, to read more in the Bible and stuff like that. Uh, and there came a point uh, in our, our two 
uh, middle children where they could not be talked out of it. If you don't tell me uh, what I need to do to be saved right now, I'm just gonna do it on my own. If you don't let me pray right now to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, I'm gonna do it on my own. I don't care what you say. Why? Because I know what I've done and I know my penalty before God. Hey, you can't talk a kid out of something like that. I was uh, seven years old when I began asking, uh, what do I need to do to get baptized? My parents said, we need to get saved. Well, I want to get saved so I can get baptized. I mean, who doesn't want to get in the water with a pastor? That looks like so much fun, you know? I mean, I, I had a picture in my mind of, you know, doing a cannonball into the baptistry and, and like swimming around in there when I was done, you know? Uh, and I thought, that's so much fun. And my parents said, not yet. Uh, again, another, another time, one of my friends, Kevin Driver, Kevin got saved. And after the service was over, he stood at the back door of the pastor and everybody went by and shook his hand and told him congratulations. And I thought, I want everybody to shake my hand. I want to stand at the door of the pastor and say hey to folks when they leave. What do I have to do to do that? And my parents says, not yet. But then there came a Sunday morning where I realized that uh, if I died, that I would split hell wide open that he, even at nine years old, I realized I had egregiously rebelled against God's plan and God's law, and there was something inside of me that needed to be made right with God, and nobody could talk me out of it. Again, uh, you can't add or take away from the gospel. Every child is different, uh, and so as parents, I want you to be careful with that cautiously uh, and continue to teach them the truth. Uh, Vanderlei was three years old when he could tell you what the gospel was. Vanderlei, how do people get saved? by Jesus. How do we get saved? By repenting of our sins and putting our faith in Jesus. Three years old. Do you think a three-year-old fully grasps Holy Spirit conviction and the guilt and shame of their own sin that was placed on Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God? Clueless. But he had all the right answers. He knew all the right verses. And so we need to be very careful and protect the gospel and proclaim the gospel. Uh, That's what this whole book is about here. So a little bit of side uh, uh, stuff there for introduction's sake. As we take a look at tonight, I want to give the same caveat I've given the last uh, three weeks that we've talked through this passage of Scripture. Uh, The Bible says that knowledge puffs up, and if we're not careful, we take the knowledge that we get uh, at church, and it makes us better arguers. I've met Christians before who have no desire to follow Christ, no desire to obey the Bible. They just want to read the Bible so they can argue more, so that they can debate better so that they can have something to to offer to the roundtable discussion. Uh, That is not what we're doing here tonight. Tonight, we're going to take a look at a false gospel that's prevalent in our society today. It's becoming more popular, uh, especially in the last couple of years. Uh, But we're not doing this so that we can go and, again, uh, post ugly things on Facebook or share things or blast people with stuff or uh, go to to, to work tomorrow and tell how smart we are and all the things we've learned and stuff like that. But uh, we say this to be aware of what's out there and so that we can be guardians of the truth uh, and good stewards of the truth. Uh, Our our first uh, uh, false gospel that we looked at was the gospel of works. The idea that we need to earn our salvation by the things that we do, uh, the gospel of the false gospel that Paul was preaching against here was the gospel of works. Except Christ is Savior, good. But you also need to be circumcised. You also need to keep the Jewish holy days. You also need to keep the Levitical law. And Paul says, no, it doesn't work that way. Christ has fulfilled the law. We don't need it any longer. And so that was the gospel of works that we took a look at uh, several weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we took a look at the prosperity gospel, which is very prevalent in our society, especially very prevalent in our city here. The idea that God just wants you to be happy. Uh, God wants to give you everything that you ask for. Uh, God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And if you're not, it's your fault because you don't have enough faith. Uh, Because God wants you to give good stuff. And if you don't have it, it's your fault because you're not doing what you should do. Again, that couldn't be further from the truth. It's a false gospel. If you missed out on that message, uh, listen to it on our podcast. 
I got a, a text from uh, someone who attends our church, and they said, I listened to the podcast and that message, and they said it brought back a lot of memories of a church I used to attend. And they said, believe it or not, I went and sat down in a BMW X5 at the dealership and proclaimed that God would give me that car. I said, this is my car. In the name of Jesus, this is my car. And she said, I even took it for a test drive. She said, I look back, and I feel so foolish now that I thought that God's plan for my life was to give me a BMW SUV. Uh, again, that goes so much deeper than we have time to unwrap, uh, but I want you to understand it's out there, it's prevalent, beware against it. The false gospel we're taking a look at tonight is the false gospel of social justice. The idea that it's the church's job to fix all of society's ills. Uh, The idea that it's our job to uh, fix what is wrong in our society when it comes to a multitude of different social issues that are plaguing our society today. The issue with the social justice gospel and really any other false gospels that it misses out on our greatest need. Man's greatest need is not to be more comfortable. Man's greatest need is not to overcome poverty. Man's greatest need is not physical healing. Man's greatest need is not a a place to belong or a community to be a part of. Man's greatest need is payment for our sinful condition. It's our greatest need that we have. And there's only one place that you can find that need being met, and it's the cross of Jesus Christ. There's only one way that we know for what, uh, how to fix what ails us, our greatest need. It's in the message of the gospel. And the idea with the social gospel is that our problem isn't really our sinful condition, it's other things. According to the social justice gospel, the mission of the church is to rectify things like poverty, it's the, the uh, job of the church to go and help uh, underprivileged people. That the greatest uh, need that we have in our society today is human trafficking or racism or gender inequality or abortion. And while we would look at all these things and we would call them absolutely reprehensible and sinful in every way, it's not the job of the church to fix all of these issues. And you might be scratching your head going, really? Like, these things are really important. And I would wholeheartedly agree that they're super important. But you might look and say, well, if we're not going to make a difference when it comes to human trafficking, who will? If it- We're not going to make a difference when it comes to poverty or racism. Uh, Who will? Are you saying that racism is okay? Are you saying that abortion is okay? We're not saying any of those things whatsoever. We're saying when this becomes the mission of the church, we set the Great Commission to the side, we set the gospel to the side, and we focus on how we can eradicate poverty in our world. We've missed the purpose of the church. Uh, I had, uh, had a friend who told me about a mission trip that he had taken to uh, uh, Venezuela, and they'd gone down there to, to Venezuela, and they had uh, served at a, a school down there. And he began to tell me about the, the school that they painted, and they, they fixed up the classrooms for them, and they uh, got new whiteboards and for the, the teachers. And they gave them whiteboard dry erase markers and stuff like that. And uh, they really spruced up the campus, and they did a bunch of landscaping, and they pulled a bunch of weeds and stuff like that. And I said, man, that's awesome. What else did you guys do? And that was it. We just made the school look like a million bucks. That's awesome. Did you guys have the opportunity to talk to anybody about the gospel? No, this was strictly a, a, a mission trip to fix up this school. Did you guys like have a, like daily devos with the people at the school? Did you have an opportunity to talk to anybody about the Lord or anything like that? It's like, no, we were, we were just working with the people of the village just trying to do good stuff. You missed an opportunity there. There are a hundred different nonprofits that will go to underprivileged countries and paint schools and pull weeds. That's not the church's job. The church's job is the gospel. 
Now, please understand, we'll take a look at it a little bit. If you want to go to a third world country and paint a school and pull weeds while you share the gospel, that's a great way to do it, and I'm 100% for that. But it's not the church's job to end poverty. I heard about a, a guy several years ago that had gone to China as a missionary who's going to help them to learn to plant rice. And I scratched my head, like, China and rice. You realize they've had rice for like 5,000 years, right? They don't need your help in planting rice in China. I thought it'd be a great way to get involved in the community. You got the wrong mission. Uh, what does China need? They don't need rice. They definitely need the gospel. You, you, missed, out, you missed out on it. Um, I I'd mentioned several weeks ago that Angela and I, when we first moved here, again, we see a lot of uh, prostitution that takes place uh, between here and Waikiki, a lot. Uh, between, uh, between Chinatown and Waikiki is an incredibly high uh, human trafficking and, and prostitution. Uh, and if you, if you don't believe me, hey, I'm just telling you, it's there. And so we had heard about a, another church that had a ministry reaching out to these uh, ladies who had caught up in a life of prostitution and things along those lines, and we wanted to find out how we could get in on that. And so they'd given some information and said I had a special training session on Sunday night uh, that they would go to and that we could attend. And so we went to this training session. We're hearing about what all the things they try to do. And so uh, these ladies would go out, and it's always a, a group of ladies and guys would usually step, stand behind and provide some overwatch and some, some security and make sure that nobody got in any trouble or anything like that. And so these ladies would go and talk to these, uh, these, these prostitutes and began to uh, ask them about their situation. And they would do things like give them toothpaste and, um, you know, Snickers bars and stuff like that uh, and tried to, to develop a friendship with these ladies. And then they had a way that they had a, it was kind of a housing that they had for these folks that they could, if they wanted to get away, they had a place they could sleep that night and, and uh, provide ways to get out of that. And they began to talk about all the different resources that they had and several state programs that were available. They gave a bunch of phone numbers of people that they could contact and stuff like that to try to get these ladies out of this environment. And so we, we heard all that and thought, man, that's great. That's, that's really good. And so I'm thinking to myself, you know, man, hopefully with these snicker bars and, and toothpaste and stuff like that, we got some gospel tracts, we got some Bibles, we got some resources we can give them and stuff like that. And so we went through all of it and we got to the end of it. And he says, anybody have any questions on this? He says, yeah, how often do you guys do that? And they told the, t the dates and the, the days and the time that they do stuff like that. And I said, great. I said, what do we do about getting these ladies the gospel or getting them plugged in with a church or something like that? They kind of looked at each other, and, and one of them said, well, you know, we, we found that the ladies aren't really all that receptive to, to church or anything like that, so we just try to just meet them where they're at and just meet whatever needs that they do have. Okay, but do you guys have a way that you point them to, to a church or point them to the gospel or these places that they're staying? Do they have the opportunity to, to get to know about Jesus and all that he's done? And they said, we're, we're just really looking to get these ladies out of this lifestyle and, and into a different way of life. Okay, maybe you're not understanding what I'm saying. To move from this lifestyle to a different way of life that doesn't involve Christ is to take them from one bad situation and put them in another. They said, well, you know, we, we found that it's best just to meet them where they are. And I realized that there was no gospel in this at all. It was just a humanitarian effort. And I scratched my head and I was trying to figure out why a church would be involved with something that did not have anything whatsoever to do with the gospel and had no intention of ever trying to give them the gospel. Hey, if they don't want to hear it, that's fine, but I'm going to at least present it. I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to have some resources on hand to get it to them. But it was a humanitarian effort that was devoid of the gospel. And Angela and I walked out of there and I said, I really just can't see us or our church getting behind something like that. I don't want anybody involved in human trafficking or anything like that. But at the same time, if we're not going to be 
able to give them the gospel. We weren't, we weren't even gonna be allowed to give them books or tracts or anything like that. I can't even give them a gospel or even a New Testament. That's not gonna solve anything. By the same token, things like, like racism. I hate racism with every fiber of my being. God created one race and it's called the human race. Simple as that, end of story. Uh, I believe that uh, racism is not a biblical category that God ever puts people in. Uh, race is not a biblical category. And so I think when we begin to define things by race, I think we begin to, to break down the structure that God created. And I'm 1,000% against racism. I'm against abortion. We're gonna talk two weeks, uh, three weeks from today on, a, on the topic of abortion. Every year, uh, we preach one message on a Sunday morning about abortion and why it's, it's, it is a cancer of our society. Uh, if, you, if you haven't been watching the news in the last six weeks, our nation has cranked up the heat on the ability to kill children. It's mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. We're gonna talk about why that's important for Christians to have a biblical viewpoint of why abortion's wrong. Uh, for us, every single year, we take on Mother's Day, a Mother's Day offering that we give to a pregnancy crisis center where they counsel ladies that are thinking of abortion and give them the opportunity for adoption. But I, again, I don't wanna just put uh, our church's resources at something that just gives people an alternative. The thing that I love about a place for women that we partner with is every woman that walks in the front door is gonna hear the gospel. Every single one of them, they're gonna to hear about why their baby deserves a chance to live and whatever they've gone through in their life, how Jesus Christ can fix that. Man, please sign me up for that. I wanna get on board with that. But the idea that the church's job is to fix all of these issues that we find in society is just a, a wrong-headed approach because all these issues are incredibly important, but they all share one root cause, and the root cause is sin. That's it. Why do we have racism in our society today? Sin. Why do we have people that think it's okay to murder children? Sin. Why do we have poverty the way that we do? Many times it's sin. Why do people sell other human beings? Why do other people uh, visit sex workers? Sin. It's the root cause. And so we see this not as an individual issue, but we see it as one big issue because the answer for sin is the gospel. It's not overly simplistic to say that Jesus is the answer for everything that ails us. The issue is not is sin. The issue is not racism. The issue is sin. The issue is not human trafficking. The issue is sin. The issue is not gender inequality and how we need to make sure that everyone is now equal again. The issue that we have is sin and the gospel is the answer. This is why we must protect the gospel at all costs. That's why for us, instead of going out with picket signs and, and picketing around businesses that do things that are wrong, we just take the gospel to our community one person at a time. We don't share pictures on Facebook. Uh, we don't share uh, stuff that other people put on there. We don't try to be divisive. We just try to bring the gospel. And, and let me tell you something. The gospel is already an offensive message. We don't need you to add offense to the offensive message. The gospel, to tell someone, your way of doing things is wrong, Jesus' way is right, and you must follow him or face eternal wrath, that's an incredibly offensive message to people. But we find in the Gospels, Jesus shared that message everywhere he went with love. He 
He did good to people. He helped people for the purpose of sharing with them a very difficult message. So if I can love a woman who wants to have an abortion while sharing the truth of the gospel with her, I'm gonna call that a win. If I can share the gospel with someone who's been on the wrong end of racism and show them how Jesus can fix the hurt that's in their heart from being on the receiving end of that, I wanna get involved in that. If I can share the gospel with a guy who thinks he's better than someone else because of his ethnicity, I wanna share the gospel with him and how he can fix that so that he can be whole again. The gospel is the answer for what ails our society. It's not the individual social needs. What's man's greatest need to be redeemed from our sin and be changed by the Holy Spirit of God? This is our greatest need. Our problems will not be fixed by politics. Our problems will not be fixed by legislation. Our problems will not be fixed by anything other than Jesus Christ himself and change that takes place internally by the Holy Spirit of God. That's it. It's the only hope that we have, folks. I grew up in Kentucky, a very small town in the south, about 4,000 people in my hometown. I went to an all-white high school. I lived in an all-white county. Uh, To this day, uh, we have one special day that's coming up next month called Tater Day. We have a Tater Day parade. We have a Tater Day pageant where we have Miss Tater Day. That is a redneck way to say potato for those of you that don't know what a tater is. We have Tater Day. And every year at Tater Day, without fail, this year will be no different, I promise you that. There's a bunch of rednecks with their jacked up trucks pulling American flags and rebel flags off both sides of their, the bed of their truck and they think nothing whatsoever of it. They're not trying to be offensive. They're not trying to be, it's just who they are. They would use words to describe other people that you and I would find offensive. They find no offense in it whatsoever. I grew up around stuff like that. And it took a while for me to understand that this is not biblical godly thinking. That I needed to change the way that I viewed things. That I needed to change the way that I treated people and that I myself was treated. And you know the answer for that really was just the gospel that I realize that I'm no better than anyone else based on where I grew up or what country that I live in. And if I'm not careful, we even begin to think that we as Americans are better than the rest of the world. Friends, wrong viewpoint. We are all sinners in great need of a Savior. And the answer is the, the change that comes about in us individually by the Holy Spirit of God. That's the only thing that's going to bring lasting change. It's not going to be convincing people to vote on one particular side of the ticket or the other. It's not going to be about who can get more people on their side. It's about what change can we make through the Holy Spirit. You see, when we meet a physical or social need without addressing the gospel, we simply make people more comfortable as they wait for eternal wrath and suffering. That's a really long way to say when we help people but we don't give them the gospel, we just make them comfortable for hell. I'm all for helping the underprivileged people in our city. We have folks all the time who come in who ask us for food, ask for assistance, and we want to give that, but we're never going to give that without giving the gospel. Hey, if you want me to make you a sandwich and give you a bottle of water, I'm happy to do that, but you're going to hear the gospel on the way while I'm doing it. Somebody has a need, I want to help meet that need, but you're going to get the gospel on the way. Otherwise, I'm just making you more comfortable while you wait around to spend eternity separated from God. And that, friend, is one of the most unloving things that we can do. So if we want to meet 
a particular need, we need to make sure that we marry that with the gospel. Again, that's one of the reasons why I have a place for women, and we'll give a, an offering on uh, Mother's Day towards that, because they share with these women the fact that they carry inside of them a real child, a real life. But at the same time, they tell these ladies that they need Jesus Christ because he's the only thing that can fix their situation. I want to help people like that. You see, the gospel is not a political issue. It's not about Christians or uh, conservative Republicans or independents and everybody else is Democrats. When we do that, we marginalize people. And it's foolish to say that all Christians would vote a certain way. Again, at the end of the day, my, my Christianity is not based on how I vote. My Christianity is based on who Christ is to me. By the same token, we cannot roll the gospel in with our politics that we want to, uh, to have. I have a friend who attended a, uh, um, a preacher's meeting in Tennessee. And at the preacher's meeting at this, uh, at this particular church, it's a good church, I've been there before, solid folks. But at this preacher's meeting in the lobby, they had a big, huge table out in the lobby with the red Make America Great uh, hats that you could buy in the church lobby, and they had a, a cardboard cutout of Donald Trump, and you could get your picture made with Donald Trump with your red hat on. And I thought to myself, if I did something like that here, we would have this church building burned to the ground in a matter of like eight hours. Any ability that I had to be able to share truth with the people of my city would be completely and totally gone. And I, I thought to myself, I, I said to the guy, that didn't really happen. He goes, yeah, it really did. And he goes, I was really uncomfortable being there. And he said, and I thought to myself, if half the people in my church even knew that I walked into that building, it split my church. And I thought to myself, here's a group of really well-meaning people that have rolled their politics into the gospel and made it a package deal. Friends, that's one of the most foolish things you could ever do, ever. And just know this, whatever president we ever have, will be flawed, will fall way short of God's expectations of them, and we will have problems because politics is not the answer. I was, <laughs> I was blown away by Christians who thought that because George W. Bush was a Christian that that was going to bring America back to God and bring revival. It, it, it just didn't happen. I had people who thought that because uh, Donald Trump uh, uh, claims that 2 Corinthians is one of his favorite books in the Bible, that he was a conservative Christian who would bring America back to God. Folks, politics will not bring America back to God. And look, again, for me, this is not a political issue. I don't have a dog in the fight. I don't even watch Fox News. I don't, I don't care who's in office. I just know we're commanded to respect them and pray for them and hope that they get things right and follow after God. I said one time, and again, this is how sensitive people are to this, and so I want you to understand that as we share the gospel, we understand it's not a political thing. I mentioned on a Sunday morning, uh, you need to pray for our president. He needs all the prayer that he can get, and we as Christians need to stand behind our leaders and pray for them. I just said that, simple as that, whether you agree with him or not, that's what I said. And we get a connection card, and they're always anonymous connection cards, <laughs> and it said, please drop the anti-Trump rhetoric from the pulpit. And I thought to myself, I said to pray for the president. Like, you don't know my thoughts on the president because I don't share them with anybody. 
But someone who had felt like that was a politically charged statement. That's why we've got to divorce the gospel from politics. The two don't go together and we just muddy the waters when we try to put them together. The gospel is, uh, is apolitical. It doesn't matter whether you're, you're Democrat, Republican, Independent, or the Green Party. Uh, you need Jesus just like everybody else. So this is not a political issue. It's not a political statement. And when we get to talking about abortion in three weeks, it's not a political issue. It's a biblical issue. You see, when we politicize Jesus' church, we begin fragmentation. Look, the body of Christ needs as much unity as we can get. We don't need to further divide ourselves. I, I hate any type of fragmentation whatsoever that we find uh, in churches today. Um, you know, again, I know there's well-meaning churches that have like a Korean ministry and a Filipino ministry and stuff like that. And we have a, I know of a church that has a Bible studies for military wives and stuff like that. And I get where you're going with that. But when we say that you have to be a military wife to come to this Bible study, what do all the ladies do whose husbands, you know, uh, work at Bank of Hawaii or work, they work at Long's? What about all the ladies who aren't married? Do they not get a Bible study for themselves? Uh, that to me just it doesn't make sense. We need to all come together. We need to find unity, not fragmentation. And when you add politics to the church, we just begin to, to split up into factions and we can't afford that. But the gospel permeates every area of our life. There's no area of my life that's untouched by the gospel because the gospel calls out my sinful condition. The gospel calls out my need for a power higher than myself. The gospel calls out where I am wrong and how I can make it right. And the gospel bleeds over into every area of my life. So because of the gospel, I am against racism. Because of the gospel, I am against human trafficking. Because of racism, I am against any type of gender inequality. And the fact that it says a woman's not as valuable as a man is, I'm against that. I'm against prostitution because of the gospel. I'm against anything that causes any type of suffering in the world for sure. But the answer to that is not a program or a plan. The issue with that, the answer for that is always the gospel. You see, we can and must utilize physical and social needs as a delivery mechanism for the gospel. We have to use these physical and social needs as a delivery mechanism of the gospel. We had a couple who came uh, last Sunday night to our church services, and I said, how did you hear about our church? And they said, last Sunday night, we saw some people out on the sidewalk that were painting over graffiti, and they gave us an invitation to church. There you go. We have a physical, social need that we have in our community, and we put that together with the gospel, and we're able to reach people. That's the whole idea behind it. The, the, the idea is not good works for the sake of good works. The idea is good works for the glory of God and the sake of the gospel. Not just to be good, to do good. The mission of the church is the gospel. We have to stay that course with laser beam focus. And again, if we want to go to uh, Venezuela and paint a school while at the same time taking them to gospel, we need to do stuff like that. Uh, I'm praying about an opportunity for our church to be able to go on a mission trip in the next 18 months or so. Stay tuned for that. I'm finding a place where we can go and we can serve and, and use our service as a delivery mechanism for the gospel. But friend, you don't have to wait till we take a mission trip. You got a mission trip uh, this week when you go to your school, when you go to your workplace, when you go to uh, your community. Hey, take an Easter invite and take cookies and that's taking a physical need and putting it together with the gospel. That's what this whole thing's about. But our goal is not just to be a good neighbor and make lots of cookies for our neighbors. 
Our goal is to take the gospel to the people who need it most. Jesus did not come to set our society in order. He came to save sinners. I'm amazed as I read through the gospels at how uh, really clueless the apostles were when they were following Jesus. Because when it came down to the end, Jesus says, my time's at hand, my departure's here, I'm ready to go, I'm gonna be offered, I'm gonna go to the cross. And Peter says, you're not gonna go to the cross, not on my watch. And Jesus says, shut up, uh, in nicer terms. Uh, not really, he didn't use nicer terms. He says, get me behind me, Satan, right? That's pretty, that's worse than shut up. Um, and so, uh, not, not gonna happen. And, and the apostles are like, well, when are you gonna restore the kingdom? Like, when are you gonna take the throne of David and, and, and kick out the Romans? When is that gonna happen? And Jesus says, not yet. And so then Jesus dies and goes to the cross, and the apostles are like, all right, it's not the guy that's going to deliver us from our, our oppression. And then Christ rises from the grave. And they're like, oh, here it is. Now our risen king is going to take the throne of David and kick out the Romans and, and take out all the oppression and wrongs in society. And Jesus says, actually, not yet. We'll get to that one of these days, uh, and we'll, I'll be king for a 1,000 years after that, but not yet. Jesus had the opportunity to, to take care of all of the Roman oppression, but he didn't choose to do that. He chose to save sinners. Jesus had the opportunity to make everything right, but he didn't do that. He chose to save sinners. Have you ever read what Jesus wrote a, had said in the Bible about slavery? You ever read that part before? No, you haven't. You know why? Because he didn't say anything about it. He said, well, that's strange. Yeah, Jesus could have said, hey, uh, slave masters, set all your slaves free. If you have servants in your house, turn them loose and let them do their own thing. But he didn't do that. You know what he did? He just told them, hey, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit. He told us how to live in our society and how to, to show the love of Christ to people. And he also gave us the gospel because we can't attack every single social ill that's out there. We'll, we'll be so uh, going a hundred different directions, but we can focus on the gospel, the most important story ever told. We can do what the mission of the church is. Hey, look, if we don't make peanut butter sandwiches for the homeless folks that are living on the streets out here, somebody's gonna feed them. I promise you that. There are systems in place that our government, that our tax money goes to, to feed these people. But let me tell you this, if we don't give them the gospel, nobody else will. Hey, look, a lot of good needs to be done in our city for sure. We need somebody who's gonna to, to mow the medians and, and pick weeds and stuff like that. We can do that, but it's not our mission. But if we can pick weeds while we're sharing the gospel, hey, sign us up for that. Let's get involved in that. We, I'd gotten a call from a lady uh, several weeks ago who said that she'd been calling the city over and over and over about the, all the garbage that was left out here on Waimanu Street and the, uh, the graffiti that had taken place and the weeds that were spilling over into the, into the sidewalk. She said, I've been calling the city for weeks and nobody done anything. And she said, your church, in a matter of 90 minutes, went out there and fixed everything that I've been calling for weeks about. And she said, you'll be seeing me soon. And I thought to myself, that's what it's about right there. A church that's doing good in a community for the purpose of reaching people with the gospel. That's what we have to be about. But when, when weeds and graffiti become the focus and the mission of our church, we've lost the focus of what the church is supposed to be. Final thought tonight. The true gospel is the answer for everything that ails us. The true gospel. Now, mind you, Paul says here, if it's another gospel, it's not the gospel. But the true gospel is the answer for everything you know what those prostitutes need? They need the gospel and to hear that they are greatly valued by Jesus Christ who gave his life for them. 
You know what the men that are selling those women into a life of slavery need after a lot of jail time? They need the gospel. They need to know that Jesus can change them from the inside out because he loves sinners. You know what the drug addict needs? More than a 12-step program, they need to know that they can be forgiven of their sin and that they can be restored and be a whole person again because what Christ has done for them. Do they need drug treatment? For sure. I'm not going to discount that, but their greatest need is not to get sober. Their greatest need is to get sober so they can understand the gospel and be saved. The gospel fixes everything. If you have problems in your marriage, you know what will fix that? The gospel understanding that you're a sinner and you're married to another sinner who just need God's grace to make it through and to be able to forgive the way that Jesus forgives and experience life changed by the Holy Spirit at work in my life. If you're having problems at work with a coworker, you know what you need to be reminded of? The gospel, how you're a sinner, how you've broken God's law, but God loves you anyways and he showed you grace and mercy and, and the gospel helps you to be able to extend grace to other people. The gospel, the true gospel, it fixes it all. That's why, again, we have one message, really. Again, you come to Huikala, it's gonna sound like a broken record because every week we're gonna talk about the gospel and how it applies to the, the passage of scripture that we're in. Because regardless of where we're at in the Bible, we can always come back to the gospel everywhere because the gospel is the story of Jesus from cover to cover. It's important, it's one thing to say that we as a church believe in the gospel, that we preach the gospel, that we share the gospel. It's a wholly, totally different thing for you to take it personally. And that's what I wanna challenge you with tonight. We have some beautiful Easter invitations that I would encourage you to grab at least 10 of those. Uh, we're, we started a club called the Hundo Club. If you wanna take a stack of 100 and get them out in the next six weeks, it basically works out to like three a day. Uh, grab a stack and be a part of the Hundo Club. Uh, we had about six folks who took those this morning. But here's the idea that I would just take the gospel seriously, that I wouldn't go to church and hope that my church gets the gospel out, that I would do my, my own personal part to get the gospel out, that I would be so concerned about the souls of men that I personally would do something about it, not just sit around hoping that somebody else did it. The church that I grew up in was a, a Baptist church. They believed doctrinally the same thing that our church believes. But where we greatly differed was the philosophy of ministry, how ministry actually got done. And the biggest, one of the biggest issues that we had was the fact that we believed that we pay our pastor's salary and it's his job to go out and share the good news and win souls and to teach people the Bible and stuff like that. That couldn't be further from the truth. It is every Christian's responsibility to share the gospel with other people, every Christian's responsibility to teach the Bible to people. That's what we're supposed to do. And you might be sitting here tonight going, well, I don't really know the gospel well enough to actually share it with another person. And I would challenge you to become a student of the gospel student. And that will pay dividends for the rest of your life. I guarantee you that. If you will get to know the gospel better. There, there are people that I, I like to listen to them as they share the gospel because I learn things about ways I can teach truth. Uh, sometimes I'll watch YouTube videos and watch people present the gospel. Uh, and I can be really critical of that sometimes because it's like, oh, you left out that. You should have added that. It's be a great verse to add to that. But I, I always want to be learning better ways to share because it's that important. The gospel is our life. Paul says it's the gospel that we heard, that we responded to, and it's the gospel wherein we stand. That's heavy stuff. We stand in the power of the gospel. And I want to make sure that I know it, that I live it, that I share it. So I want you to 
begin thinking, again, this is Reach Month here at Who We Call a Baptist Church. Think of one person that you can share your faith with this month, eyeball to eyeball, share the truth of the gospel with them, and I promise you, God will take care of the rest.